Welcome to the Silver Screen Guide Podcast, where we discuss films from every genre. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the podcast. Today we are discussing Halloween 2, the 1981 version. This is your co-host Corbin. I'm Alan from Chicago. And this is actually the kickoff to our Halloween retrospective series, leading up to the release of the brand new film this October, which I am incredibly excited for. Yeah, same here. Now, I know that we had done the first one. Yes. Um, a couple years. No, no, it was last year. And... Yeah, now we're here doing the second one. Right. So those of you who are kind of confused, maybe like, oh, what? This is the kickoff to the retrospective. You both missed the first one. (laughs) No, we actually didn't. We did that for our very first October Halloween special in 2016 because 2017 special was Psycho. So I highly recommend before you listen to this review, go ahead and hit pause and go find... Uh, the under Podbean, we have it all in categories. If that's where you're listening, um, you'll be able to find things a little easier on that. Otherwise, go to our website or whatever podcast thing you're at. Uh, make sure to listen to the first installment of that. Um, we we specified back then that that was not like we weren't doing the retrospective series. That was a part of the Halloween special. But now, since the new movie came out, we're deciding, or it's coming out, I should say, we decided to do a retrospective and if you listen to our 2018 update podcast and you heard the schedule that's coming out then you'll know that we're doing things a little different this year instead of sticking with like one retrospective at a time and just doing it all in a row we are going to kind of break it up a little bit just to kind of switch things up give it a little more variety uh, throughout the month so next week when you Come back to listen to the episode. You will not be listening to Halloween 3. We will be actually starting another retrospective series that will be leading up to uh, another movie. Yeah, I know that once a month, the beginning of the month, we'll release one of these. Uh, The next is yours. Right. So we will be giving, just like Alan said, a new Halloween movie at the beginning of every month leading up to October. So join us on this journey through the ups and downs of Halloween. Now, to preface, I have only seen the first one. This is going to be completely new to me, this entire retrospective. It was new to me when we watched the original back um, when we did the Halloween review. This was this one, Halloween 2, was new to me when I watched it a couple of days ago. So this entire series, for me, is completely new. I have never watched him ever before. I know Corbin is a big fan of him. I know he's seen him probably multiple times. This is brand new for me. So we have a bit two different perspectives coming into this one, someone who has kind of grown up with it and me who I've not, I have not seen any of these. Absolutely. So that'll be nice to hear a fresh perspective on the series. And I went back and listened to the podcast of our review of the first Halloween movie. And we just loved that movie. Oh yeah, we did. I still remember things from it even two years away from whenever we did it. Yeah. Have you revisited Halloween since? I have not. I almost did once for one. I think my cousin and I this last year had put together a, a list of movies that we wanted to watch for Halloween. And Halloween was on that list, but we never got around to it. Ah, I did. Yeah, well, I wanted to. I really did. Well, I went back and listened to our thoughts and we only had some very minor negatives And that was just like maybe stylistic choices with some of the music cues and things like that. Overall, we absolutely loved it. And so the sequel has big shoes to fill. And I distinctly remember asking you, 
were you looking forward to the sequel and do you think it needs a sequel? You said you felt like the original Halloween did not need a sequel at all. It worked great as a standalone film. And I agreed with that. And we both agreed like we wouldn't mind seeing a follow-up. Hopefully if it was from the same people that were doing it again. Because it is somewhat open-ended, I guess you could say. The first one is. We won't spoil the end of the first one if you haven't seen it. Right. But... Um, not yet. We will get to a spoiler alert later on, but right now we are not talking spoilers yet. So we both felt it wasn't completely necessary and John Carpenter felt the exact same way. And you'll notice he did not come back to direct this movie. Right. His hands are still in the movie. He does a lot of things for it, but he did not take the director's seat this time. He gave it to somebody else. Exactly. He felt like the first one was a great standalone film. It did its job. It really didn't need a continuation. It was much scarier and eerier the way that it ended and it's kind of like a magic trick you don't want to know how it's done because then it loses its panache and it's like uh the mystery behind it right right and so coming into this halloween 2 i didn't really know what to expect because i i know we both really love the original and i still do even thinking back on it even though i haven't watched it since i still have fond memories of it and remember a lot from it so I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know if it was going to be good or bad. So I kind of went in with an open mind wondering what exactly they could do with the Halloween series. I know that there's like 10 more we had to go through. But yeah, I want to know what else are they going to tell? Well, John Carpenter, like I said, he turned down the opportunity direct. But him and Deborah Hill came back to write the film. And John Carpenter actually picked Rick Rosenthal, who was a pretty much unknown director at the time. And he is still, I would say, fairly unknown. He's done a lot of producing of, maybe you listeners will know, uh, Mean Creek, uh, the Amazon show, Transparent. He directed the Beauty and the Beast CW TV show. He directed the movie Nearing Grace. I've heard of none of this stuff except for Transparent, which I have no interest in watching. And the only other thing is, is this is not the last time we will see Rick Rosenthal. He comes back to direct the eighth installment, Halloween Resurrection. Oh, interesting. Well, the film stars Jamie Lee Curtis, of course, Donald Pleasance, Charles Cyphers, Jeffrey Kramer, Lance Guest, Pamela Susan Shoup, Gloria Gifford, and Dick Warlock as the shape slash patrolman number three. Interesting. So we have someone who did a double role. Yes. You'll notice Dick Warlock did not play the shape, a.k.a. Michael Myers, in the first one. That was Nick Castle. Oh, okay. That I was wondering if the shape had come back as the same person, but I guess not. No. But the thing that I am super pumped and thankful for is for the first time for this new one, we are getting John Carpenter, Jamie Lee Curtis, and Nick Castle back. That gives me a lot of hope. Well, John Carpenter also, I'm not sh- I think he might be, I'm really, fingers crossed, he's going to create a brand new score for the new movie. I hope, yeah, I hope he adds something new to the score, but also keeps it, that nostalgia feel with the piano Absolutely. going back and forth. Absolutely. And he also teamed up with Alan Howarth, who I really don't know very much that he's done, except he did do the score for Halloween 4, 5, and 6 as well. Now this time I thought it was very interesting. This time they decided to go for a organ synthesizer instead of a piano. Yeah. 
And I mean, we'll talk about that in a little bit, but I thought that was a very interesting choice that they, des- that they decided to change that up. Well, the cinematographer is sl- kind of famous, I guess. Uh, Dean Cundy. Have you heard of him? I don't think I have. What else, do you know what else he's worked on? He has done, well, his, according to IMDb, he is quote unquote known for Apollo 13. Okay. Uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Escape from New York, and Hook. So those are all fairly well-known movies. So this was one of Dean Cundy's earlier works, and he would go on to do more of that stuff. So Oh, that's right. Yeah, I remember reading the wiki article about him and how he kind of still stuck around with uh, Carpenter to do Escape from New York and whatever else. Right. Well, the IMDb rating for this movie is not too optimistic. Yeah. It holds a 6.6. Hmm. It's a bit a bit low compared to the I think it's almost 8 for uh, Halloween. Yes. The original Halloween has a 7.8. So going from a 7.8 to a 6.6 is a pretty steep drop. And I mean for a big name like John Carpenter and Halloween that came out a few years ago to kind of drop that bad. Right. Mm. Yes, and I want to give a little bit of variety when it comes to the different ratings. I, I would like to start using Cinema Score uh, from now on, but that only goes back for I don't know, like twenty or thirty years. Yeah. So the eighties is was a it wasn't back then, but Rotten Tomatoes has pretty much a score for everything. So out of all the critics on Rotten Tomatoes, only thirty one percent recommend it that is totally rotten that is so bad considering the first one has a critics rating of 93 percent. right <laughs> so right. but audiences gave it a 63 percent for the second one well that's not too bad it's pretty close to the imdb score yeah so that's interesting and i should also note this movie came out all, almost to the day it's within the week uh, it took about three years for this movie to get out this movie was released october 30th 1981 Interesting. The first one was 78. So almost, yeah. That's almost to the day, yeah. Yeah. The, which is cool that they both were released around right around Halloween, which is really nice. And kind of unfortunately, the new movie is not going to be that close to Halloween. It's coming out the week-ish before. It comes out October 19th. Hmm. So a little over a week before Halloween, but still pretty close. I'm not going to complain yeah. too much. Now, I know that going into this, you and I actually watched uh, two different versions of this one. Yes, we did. We watched two different versions. There was, just as with the first movie, there was the theatrical cut. And then when they wanted to show it on TV, by the time they cut out the nudity and blood, it was too short. So John Carpenter, for the first one, went back during, actually during um, shooting this one, I believe, Mm -hmm. or... Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure because Jamie Lee Curtis for the new footage in the TV version of the first one, she had to have a towel over her head because her hair was different. So they shot some new scenes for that. And then for this one, they cut out a bunch of the deaths. I read that up on the wiki that there's a lot uh, that had been cut out from the TV version. Yeah. So just, I have just kind of like a bit of a brief description. First of all, the TV version is cropped to four, three. It's missing gore, it's missing deaths, there's no nudity, uh, there's some new scenes, so Laurie and other characters get new dialogue uh, that's not in the theatrical version. Also, I can't say this part yet because it is a spoiler, 
Uh, I'll get to it in just a minute. There's different footage of different deaths. You know the scene where Jimmy falls at the end? Oh, yeah. Of your version? That was not supposed to be there. Right. Uh, that's That was like in the middle of the movie, and for some reason they put it at the end. And there's also a longer ending with Jimmy and Lori. So the ending you saw is not the theatrical ending. For those who haven't picked up already, I watched the TV version and Corbin watched the theatrical. So before we get into a little more of the trivia and differences, I want to just take a quick look at the box office real quick. I'm really interested in this because I know that in the years past, if the first one does great, no matter how good or bad the second one is, it'll do even better. Because happened with Rambo. This happened with our last retrospective. Uh, it just seems to be a running thing. So I'm really curious to see what these numbers are. So the budget was, it got a way bigger budget considering the first movie had a budget of a little over 300000 mm-hmm. The budget of this is $2.5 Whoa. So a pretty substantial budget. And for domestic gross, there's no foreign numbers, but domestic, $25 million. Wow. So it did really well, especially for uh, 1981, and for a budget that small, it did great. Oh yeah, it did fantastic for its budget and making it all back. Yeah, yeah, it had it was number one opening weekend, and I believe opening weekend was around 7.4 million, which is already at least twice the budget, almost three times. Yeah, close to three times the budget. So it did great. Um, now, as for its ranking in the series, if we do without inflation, okay, which I don't think is really fair considering the new movies. But without inflation, it's number six. Right. Six out of nine, I believe. And with inflation, it's number three. What's the order then from top to Halloween 2? Okay, so adjusting for inflation, because that's only fair, from number one to number ten, uh, the very original Halloween is number one. and that is with inflation. Number two okay. is Halloween H2O. Three is Halloween 2, the one we're talking about right now. Four is Rob Zombie's 2007 Halloween. Five is Halloween Resurrection. Six, Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, which we will not talk about yet, but that's not even canon. Seven is Halloween Two, the 2009 version. Number eight is Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers. Number nine, Halloween, The Curse of Michael Myers. And the lowest grossing of the entire series is Halloween 5, The Revenge of Michael Myers. So this time around, I guess in, te- in terms of inflating the, uh, the gross, it didn't uh, make more than the original. No. But, I mean, if we take off the inflation then yeah it did but yeah if we if we adjust for gross then the original made uh 184 million and this made 84 million but if we don't adjust for gross then the first one made 47 million and this one made 25 so i guess still technically it didn't make as much as the first it didn't do better at the box office, right? Mm. So I guess audiences really weren't excited to come back for the second Halloween. Not as much as the first, at least. I think within that three-year time span, it had not become such a cult hit yet because I don't even know if home video was 
I don't think home video was too much of a thing. Yeah. They would probably come a little more later in the 80s. So there really was no way of seeing Halloween again. And three years had only passed. And the first one was kind of almost considered more of an independent type film, I guess you could say. So, yeah, audiences really, I mean, even though, yeah, it did great at the box office. It was number one opening weekend. It made back its budget ten times, you know. Uh, it still wasn't super uh, popular with audiences like the first one was. But let's talk a little bit of trivia and then we'll jump into the movie. There's some pretty interesting things that I never knew before that I found out. One of the things is, is that Carpenter and Hill originally wanted to wanted it to take place a few years later in Lori's high-rise apartment. But that idea was decided against earlier on. That's, that would have been weird. It would have been weird... It kind of makes me think of the movie The Towering Inferno where they're trapped in a high-rise that's on fire. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe it could have worked with some dark, empty hallways just like this one does. Right. I wonder if it would have been The Strangers where they're, she's kind of just trapped in her in her apartment or something. That would have been... I don't know how, one that, how well that would have worked. I don't know. I will say right off the bat, I really like the hospital setting. Yeah, I, I do too. And we'll, I know we'll get into that a bit more, but I was... At first, I was like, oh, great, a hospital, but we'll get into it. So they were also considering shooting the movie in 3D. That would have been really weird, especially back then. 3D wasn't the greatest. It was also kind of a gimmick. Right, and we hadn't had other horror movies really in 3D yet. So, I mean, Halloween kind of like pioneered the way for the some of the slasher genre, I guess you could say, or whatever. Yeah. But... 3D also kind of would have pioneered it, I think, for some horror movies because I know Friday the 13th Part 3 was in 3D, and that didn't come out for like another year or so. Right. And also, uh, like I said, when Carpenter refused to direct, he originally wanted Tommy Lee Wallace, who was the art director from the original Halloween, to direct this movie. So that didn't happen. And like I said, he chose Rick Rosenthal, but actually Tommy Lee Wallace comes to direct um, Halloween 3 Season of the Witch. Oh, okay. So he does end up getting a chance to direct a Halloween movie then. Yes, that is true. Carpenter apparently saw something that Rosenthal did. He did some terrific short called Toyer, and it was full of suspense and tension and terrific performances. So that's why Carpenter chose Rosenthal. And we've seen this a lot with horror movies. There will be some independent director who does some small little short, and then they give him the budget to make it into a big movie. That's been pretty common recently. Yeah, and we've definitely seen that with Neil Blomkamp. That's how he did District 9 is that I think James Cameron saw him and he's like, hey, I like you. And put him on. Peter Jackson. Peter Jackson, that's right. Carpenter actually, once he saw Rosenthal's version, he wasn't very happy with it. Uh, he felt like it was lacking in some like gore and in the death scenes, and it wasn't really scary at all. So Carpenter actually came in and reshot parts of the movie. That's uncredited. That is totally uncredited and not not really talked about very much. So yeah, Carpenter did come back and redo some of it. Interesting. So I guess he had a bigger role than I had previously anticipated. That's weird. Yeah, then most people actually know. Uh, this is a funny bit of trivia. Lance Guest, who plays Jimmy, he was relatively unknown when he went when he made this movie, but he did go on to star with Dan O'Hurley, who plays a character in Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, 
and they both star in the last the last starfighter together which came out in 1984 just a couple years later and the last starfighter was directed by nick castle who was the shape <laughs> in the original halloween movie <laughs> wow so the halloween movies have connections yes so a character from halloween one halloween two and halloween three all were in a movie together just a couple years later wow that's really interesting I thought that was pretty cool. Something else that I never knew about, and it's very weird, is uh, the Halloween murders. Halloween 2 murders. Did you read about those? No, I did not. So, apparently in 1982, there was this guy named Richard Boyer. And, like, in December of 82, he murdered this elderly couple because he said he watched Halloween 2 on a bunch of drugs and it gave him these like hallucinations and caused him to like murder this elderly couple or something. There's like, there's some court case about it. That's weird. Yeah. Hmm. Very weird. I guess that's why you don't do drugs, I suppose. That's right. Don't do drugs while watching yeah. horror movies. Right. Uh, no, don't do drugs ever. <laughs> right. Well, from this point on, spoilers so you have been warned if you haven't seen halloween 2 and hopefully we've piqued your interest and uh i know i've done this before i've listened to other podcasts where they just like talk about like the trivia and the tidbits of it but then when before they get into the spoilers i'll shut it off so make sure to shut it off so you don't get it spoiled unless you just don't care i guess then go ahead and keep listening but go ahead go pop on halloween 2 come back We'll be right here. We're not going anywhere and listen to the rest of it. We're excited to get into it. You've been warned. So Halloween 2 takes place directly, almost like it overlaps actually with the very first movie. And then it shows the continuation of that night. What happens afterwards? Well, we find out that Lori goes to the hospital. Michael finds out she's in the hospital Finally, Dr. Loomis finds out that she's in the hospital, and the three of them all converge for a big showdown with where it ends with Michael blowing up and he's on fire. Dr. Loomis is supposedly dead. Michael is supposedly dead. Lori is okay, and she gets a happily ever after with Jimmy. Right. So, kind of strange. I mean, we've seen this before, like Back to the Future did this exact same thing where it began with the ending scene of the first one and then just continued on from there. But that didn't come till 1989 uh, when Back to the Future Part 2 came out. So, I mean, this, this is a very interesting opening. I actually, at first was like, um, okay. But then I kind of started to buy into it. I was like, okay, well maybe this is actually a, a good, a better thing than having it placed somewhere else. Instead, the night just, the horrors of that night just continue to happen. I thought that was very interesting. It is very interesting. And this movie, I'm going to say it right off the bat, instead of really feeling like a sequel, it feels more like a part two. They're, they're really relying upon the story and character building from the first movie. Right. Uh, to keep the kind of momentum going for this movie. So it really feels just tacked on. Like, if you're just going to watch Halloween 2 by itself, without seeing the first one especially, or seeing it in a while, it kind of is lacking with certain developments. But if you're going, if you're just watching Halloween 1, and then you roll right into this, then yeah, you you already have that momentum rolling. So Right. And one of the things that I kind of thought, I kind of thought was like almost a, 
perfect example of how to explain this movie is when I finished it. It kind of feels like DLC to like Breath of the Wild or something like that. The game oh, that yeah. you buy, like say Halloween's the movie that you get, right? But if you wanted to play more of said thing, you just buy the expansion pack and it just kind of continues the story and gives you a, a bit more detail. I think this is kind of what is here is just the Halloween one is perfectly acceptable just by itself. But Halloween two, if you wanted to know more, whatever, whatever else happened that night, you can watch Halloween two and it gives you more. So that's one of the ways I kind of started thinking about what this movie was like. Absolutely. This is a great example. This is definitely downloadable content that really can't stand alone very well, but it's a really, it's an enjoyable supplement. If you want more, yeah. then you've got it here. So Exactly. Like you said, it kind of, it has to pull off of the original and for some of that development. But I mean, if you've seen the original come right off of it and watching this, then you're going to have that. It does still have characters like Jimmy or the other uh, the other nurse that's there. But for the most part, the big characters, their development was in the last one. And I we should note that the theatrical and TV version have s- kind of different openings. Yeah. Um, now, mine started with, after the opening uh, opening credits, um, which is where I actually noticed the score, it began with Mr. Sandman. Yes. Did okay. yours start with that? My, yeah, mine started with a title card. It said October 31st. It said Haddonfield, October 31st, whatever. And then it just shows the gunshots. Okay. And Michael falls off, which is a new scene, um, a new angle. We see him from the outside falling off and then Loomis running down. Uh, we also, well, even before that, we see Lori telling the kids right, to go do that. We see Michael choking her and whatnot. Uh, we, it's, it's mixed differently. It's slightly differently edited also. Um, so it is a little different and there's different shots going on. We actually see a patch of grass where he fell, whereas in the first one, it's just like dirt and mud or something where he fell. Right. And then he touches the blood and then Loomis runs off around the house and we get just this, I think it's like a powerhouse opening with just incredible, it's the same music, but like you said, that like synth organ, which just sounds awesome, I think. And then it goes into the credits for me. Okay, so mine, yeah, mine began with the credits and then wrote into this this kind of an opening. And there's a couple different things to note. I, re- I was thinking of the line in Predator when Arnold Schwarzenegger says, if it bleeds, we can kill it. Yeah. So, right. okay, if he, if, he, if he can bleed, then yes, he can die. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think it would have been almost more interesting if there wasn't blood when he reached down to touch the grass. Yeah. I wonder if, well, see, I'm going to go on the opposite end of this and say that I think that adding the blood really does kind of give more insight into, I guess it humanizes the shape a bit more um, to kind of show that he is really actually hurt. He is not just getting shot and nothing's happening. He actually is hurt. You know, that kind of gives him the potential to possibly die. They don't know how yet but the potential and clearly but clearly through the rest of the movie the gunshots have no have had no effect on him he's operating just fine as far as we can tell but what did you think of this opening like the recapped opening i actually kind of liked it um i did notice a couple of things like when uh when the shape or michael myers is like walking on has been shot and he's like hobbling backwards on the uh porch he yeah. is above the banister, and then he kind of yeah. falls off. If you look closely, you'll see he like falls on a mat. 
I kind of liked it just to kind of recap and say, okay, this is where we're at in the in the story, and this is what, now we're going to continue. You know, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a it was really short. It wasn't anything uh, like like they had to redo the entire ending scene of uh, right. Halloween. I thought it was good. I liked it just to kind of know where we were at in the story. I really liked it too, and I also liked when they when we do roll into the credits. We've got the pumpkin again, but I really liked how it opened up and there's a skull inside. Yes, I really, really enjoyed how it yeah, split in half and then it kind of started moving into the skull on the inside. That was really, I thought it was very inventive. They actually really set the mood really well. And it's interesting because not too long after we get the POV shot of Michael mm-hmm. and this, I feel there are certain sequences where I feel like they're directly calling back to the first movie or even trying to recreate those sequences. Right. And I feel this is one of them because the original Halloween opens with the POV shot. Right. Yeah. Of my, of, we don't know who it is, but we find out later it's Michael as a kid. Well, now it's Michael as an adult. So I felt the, this POV shot worked. We didn't get any, uh, eye holes for the POV shot. That's true, Like yeah. we did in the first one, but I was totally okay with that. I thought the right. POV shot worked where he's like running through the back alleys. And I love how he's like seeing the kids trick-or-treating. There's the dog. And then mm-hmm. you see – he sees Loomis off in the distance where he's just like so shocked and so afraid and they're hopping in the police car. I, I feel like this this worked. Yeah. Yeah. And I now that I think about it, do you think it the, this opening would have worked better if it began with a POV shot of my of Michael Myers and that ending scene with him, Loomis and uh, Jamie Lee Curtis or uh, Laurie? Like it, like POV shot from his view when he sits yeah. up and goes to choke her and then gets shot. Yeah. At least that far doesn't really show how he gets uh, when he gets up and walks off. But like just at least the part when he falls off the banister. Mm, that would make more sense for like continuity's sake, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, since we're jumping into the POV shot, like we're already starting with him. But I think that would be amazing if that's how it was. That would be weird. I I think I would actually love that because yeah. that's how the first movie opens with him um, murdering his sister, and then if it was this one with him trying to murder his other sister with right. a POV shot, that would be incredible. Yeah, I would love that. Right. Actually. Yeah. Now, it, I think they would kind of open up a couple of cans of worms because then it would kind of make the movie come off as if the whole movie is going to be about exploring uh, his character a bit more, mm-hmm. um, which we kind of do, but not really. But yeah, I was thinking about that just now. That would be a, a very interesting opening if they had that instead. I feel regardless, like this is a pretty strong opening to the movie. Yeah. yeah. It's a really good hook where he is going through these back kind of alleyways to these people's houses and i love how there is just kind of like this old quiet small town feel where they're still using radios Mm -hmm. and they've got old tvs and whatnot and we see a new teenage girl outside of the group that we saw earlier i do love the shot where the old man is really close in the frame the old lady's in the background and then we see michael in the very far back yeah Love yeah. That. Now I think that actually happens a bit later in mine. I think that hey, yeah, I think it happens a bit later. I don't have that one really? just yet in my notes. If I'm okay. Not mistaken. And the the other thing that you're also missing in the TV version is what happens is when he you know when he sees that girl talking on the phone. Yeah. In her house. Well, I believe in your version it just cuts off. In the TV version it cuts off, but in the theatrical version. 
Uh, it shows her talking more and more on the phone, and then it, she jumps and turns around and sees the front door is wide open. Yeah. And she's walking towards the front door, and then all of a sudden, Michael jumps up and stabs her. Okay, yeah, I didn't get that part. It, she, uh, it happens with the old people on the other side, on the other house, the neighbor's house, and then Michael walks over because he Michael scares the old people. Then Michael walks over to the next house, and then that girl comes out and starts like yelling, "Hey, are you guys okay?" And then she walks back inside and she talks on the phone, and then it cuts. So that doesn't go that far. Oh, isn't that interesting? They did cut out a number of deaths yeah. like, right before it happens. Well, the scene that you didn't get, but the scene that I get kind of opens up already one of my first critiques for the film. And that is in this scene, we see we clearly see Michael's eyes through the mask. Right. And actually and in the opening scene too, he he has put the mask back on as too as well. Yes. Yes, we did see his face just briefly in the very first movie, but I really loved in the first movie, you never saw his eyes through the mask. It was always pitch black. Right. And that goes with what Sam Loomis said, where he's like, he's got the devil's eyes, the blackest eyes. But in this, we keep seeing his eyes like a lot when he's doing this. And right. I don't like that at all because that takes away, I feel, some of the scariness of the movie because you just see like this shape and this void behind it just these black pitch black eyes it and the design looks way better so i'm disappointed with that we get to see his eyes yeah and i kind of agree with that too one of the things that he's clearly trying to do is humanize michael a bit more than in the past because yeah we get him putting back on the mask earlier we yeah we see his eyes through the mask um come to find out he's trying to kill Lori because Lori is his sister spoilers and then we had the blood in the end when you know dr loomis comes over there and he picks it up and he has blood on his hands this movie is clearly trying to humanize michael myers and like you said i don't know how much they should do that because michael is clearly scary if he kind of comes off as this force that's almost that's basically unstoppable and we don't know exactly what's behind the mask he's one of the scariest things for us is ambiguity of course you know that's one of the things that's it's considered scary so yeah it's this humanizing michael again and it kind of makes it feel as if there is a way that he can die and i don't know how much how scary that makes the rest of the movie i i definitely say that is a detriment to the film right and i mean like i'm not against humanizing a villain but in a horror film like Halloween, I, I don't know how well that's going to work. Well, now we get to meet some new characters, the ambulance people, which, okay, I I think Jimmy's character is incredibly shallow and, I don't know, it doesn't make any sense. Like, I'll mention this in a little bit, we'll talk about it more, but one of the problems is... Between Jimmy and Lori's relationship. Yeah. What is their relationship? What is their backstory? There, it's, I found this to be incredibly poor writing. Right. Yeah. Honestly, this is not talking about the relationship. But when I first met Jimmy, I swore it was Robert Hayes from Airplane. I was just like, that has to be him. <laughs> and then I had to pause the movie and look it up. And I was sorely disappointed. It is not him. It's somebody else. He was not even involved in this movie. Um I thought I thought it was him from Airplane. I was like, "What is he doing here?" It isn't him at all. But you know, I totally, I totally, totally agree. He kind of comes off as a creep at times. Yeah. Um, he, uh, I put in my notes. If he was written out, I don't think much would have changed in this movie. It really wouldn't. Nothing really would change. And also, there's some really bad line delivery. Oh yeah. From Jimmy and from, uh, I don't remember that guy's name. Whatever his 
counterpart is like I have written down her old man strode reality and then they're like yeah okay yeah this we see this second driver you see the driver come back a little bit later in the movie um he tries to uh uh he tries to get pretty close to one of the nurses there's no reason for him to be here I mean, it's fine for him to be as that extra, but he becomes a more prominent character for one reason or another. Well, also something I believe that is in my version, but not in the TV version that you saw, is the kid with the razor blade in his mouth. Yeah, I didn't get that. Yeah, there. I, I think this is supposed to be kind of some kind of connection to reality, where I know there was like some kind of scare for one year and it was like only one incident where somebody put like razor blades and apples or something like that and mm. you bit into it and you get a razor blade in your mouth or whatever so that was pretty bloody with this kid with that razor blade sticking out of his mouth that was kind of gross they cut right. that out too too much for tv audiences yeah especially back then i mean now you probably wouldn't be too big of an issue but uh back when this was released no way in fact i'm kind of surprised halloween 2 even made it on tv yeah. Okay. So, did you think Lori's hair looked different? See, I thought it did. And I thought it looked I didn't shorter. think too much of it, but yeah, it did. I yeah, thought, it did. Yeah, she might have been wearing a wig. I think I read somewhere that she was actually wearing a wig. I'm pretty sure, but mm. over the three years, of course, her hair is going to be different. Uh, but yeah, to me, it yeah. seemed pretty noticeable. Yeah, I I thought she had different hair, but then again, whenever we watched it, whenever we reviewed it, was the last time I watched it, uh, the original Halloween. So I couldn't exactly point if it was or not. So I kind of want to talk about the uh, the nurse. I forget her name, but she's the black nurse. She is so mean in this movie. <laughs> she's so mean. I guess her only character type is just to be mean. And I think in the TV version, I know she dies, but I think it's off screen. Yeah, the problem is in the theatrical version of probably a little over halfway through the movie, uh, Jimmy finds her in the operating room and she is laying there dead. Michael actually stuck an open IV into her arm and just let her bleed out through it. Oh, wow. So there's a huge pool of blood on the table. It's a pretty haunting shot of her laying there with just like the spotlight on her in this room. Tons of blood everywhere. And that's when Jimmy slips and falls to hurt himself. Gotcha. Yep, that was not in my version. Um, she just disappears. Right. And I guess since I'm talking about it right now, just to make make it continuity's sake. So you remember when Lori runs outside and runs to the parking lot? Yes. Okay. So she gets in Jimmy's car. And Jimmy comes out and doesn't even realize Lori's in there, but he has a concussion. Mm -hmm. and she like talks to him about this or that and jimmy just uh passes out on the horn which causes the horn to start blaring so then Lori's like oh crap i gotta get out of here so she jumps uh she like pulls jimmy off the horn jumps out of the car which she did that herself and it looks like it really hurt and it, there's a different shot for the tv version um Right. And she's like laying there in the parking lot helpless, which I think the scene actually really works. And then Loomis and them come and you see her screaming. So you missed all of that in the TV version. Yep. None of that happened. <sighs> Jimmy, whenever he disappeared, whenever, uh, yeah, whenever he hits his head, he just slips randomly in one scene and then falls and whacks his head. And it, it's like almost a blink and you miss it. Well, what they're trying to do is tie in the explosion 
So it's like Jimmy has no idea. And mm-hmm. the there's actually a really big problem with that. Right. It's because the room where Jimmy slipped and fell is directly next door to where they fight Michael in the end. So hmm. it, it, it works for the theatrical version because Jimmy is out of the hospital. Right. In the TV version, it blows up and they time it so the explosion is supposed to be like Jimmy... It, like, scares him and he slips and falls. Right. Well, that doesn't really work because if you were paying close attention, you'll see the rooms are right next to each other. Right. And it's pretty dumb. I have no idea why they kept it in there. Probably because Jimmy's character was a total loose end that they had to find out how to clean up. And it was too bloody for TV, so they briefly just snipped it in there. Like you said, blink and you miss it. Yeah, I almost missed it myself. I, I think I was writing down notes when that happened. And I had to go back and I was like, wait a minute, what? Did I just see what I thought I saw? So yeah, he just kind of just slips and falls. And like I said before, Jimmy's character, if he was written completely out of this movie, nothing would have changed at all. It's interesting because there's also something in this movie that it's a little bit ahead of its time I didn't even realize. When Lori's in the hospital and she's like, don't put me to sleep, don't put me to sleep. That's really evoking a nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, vibe and even storyline and Nightmare on Elm Street didn't come out till three years later that's true I didn't think about that yeah I definitely see that tie between those two also something that is missing that I didn't say earlier because it was a spoiler you remember seeing the charred body that they look at on the table yes okay so basically what happens is Sheriff Brackett and Loomis are walking down the street and they see a bunch of kids and they see the how Michael Myers mask and the the guy is also in the jumpsuit so i don't know how the guy had the same exact idea yeah. to wear that because michael stole that uh overalls from a mechanic well loomis starts waving his gun telling him to stop and this guy is like just keeps looking back walking across the street the sheriff's like you can't just wave your gun at people and all of a sudden a cop car slams into the guy pins him against a, the this van they both like collide with the van like super brutal and it just blows up i do kind of want to talk about that scene for a minute because we find out later out of sheer coincidence when everyone writes at the house we find out <laughs> that a couple guys's friend just disappeared that night they have no idea we went to and they're like and they had checked the dental records on the uh body and they're like oh he has no feelings so probably 17 years old which is unlikely you come to find out it was just some random kid that they just hit that was dressing up like michael myers like what a coincidence okay in the theatrical version it is actually a character mentioned in the first movie really yes it's a stupid coincidence okay and maybe that did happen i just didn't remember i don't think they mentioned who it is in the tv version okay i th- the two friends that come up mention his name, but they don't go any farther than mentioning his name. So that's probably why I completely skipped over my head. I'm pretty sure they, they left out who it is, but who it is is actually Lori's crush from the first one, Ben Tramer. Oh, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay, that makes a lot more sense as to why he would dress up like that then. Yes, yeah, so that... The why they chose Ben Tramer, I mean, I know they briefly talked about him in the first movie. That's who Laurie has a crush on. That's who she wants to go to the dance with or whatever. But why do they have to pick him to do it? It seems like a weird coincidental connection. Uh, Yeah, I don't I don't know. That scene with the kid made me laugh because I was like, even myself, I was thinking, 
what if that's just some random kid and they just totally killed him? And then I was, turns out I was right. I was like, oh, oh no. And nothing comes of this. They don't have to pay for anything that they just did. They just killed a 17 year old. Right. It's pretty, um, I think like the car hit is pretty brutal. Yeah. And the van, why would it blow up? I don't, I don't know. It's, that's what I want to know. That's really over the top. Over the top 80s action. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> and Halloween isn't exactly known for its explosions or vi- or action scenes or anything like that. So that's why catching a car on fire? I guess maybe it's kind of foreshadowing the end with Michael and Loomis in the back hallway. Yeah. Uh, but still, though, that's an odd choice. I mean, yes, you got you know, Chekhov's gun where you present it in the first act and it shows up in the third act, but... That's a really odd thing to put up here, you know, for a, for a very small character. If it was somebody, maybe somebody on Loomis's team, I feel like that would have been a bit more subtle foreshadowing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Okay. So there's also a couple more like, I, I don't know, continuity issues or plot issues I need to bring up. The, the very first movie makes it seem like the climax happens fairly late. Everybody has winded down. Lori's walking across the street and it's very quiet and eerie. Right. But then when this movie picks up, it still seems like trick-or-treating is in full swing because we see a number of trick-or-treaters out on the street, tons right. of people driving and walking around. So this lets on that it's actually earlier in the evening than we first thought. This could work, but it does seem a little bit of a retcon of the timeline of the first movie. Right. Yeah. And see, that's kind of what I was thinking too. I was like, I... Because I thought the original ended pretty late into the night, trying yeah. to find out that's completely wrong. Now, that part didn't bother me. Uh, the fact that, turns out, they kind of retconned it. That's, I feel like that one wouldn't bother me too much. What did bother me is how long this night is. Like, it's yes. ridiculous how long they stretch out this movie. And when it finally reaches the end, it's just like, wait, how long was that night? Because it's just, it's only like what? Okay, it's in October, so they're gonna have a bit more sun than when you would in the in the winter. But I mean, you're probably getting like what ten ish hours of of nighttime. Yeah, that's, that's a lot. That's a lot of movie. I I guess we're supposed to expect that this movie, because the end, it is the next day, right? In the end, but yeah. Um, like we said, the first movie takes up what feels like a full evening because we know it's... Remember when it's dark? It's dark in the first movie right when they get to their houses to start babysitting. Right. So maybe, or I don't know what time that would be. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe like 6 o'clock or something around there. But And they are... Well, they're they're actually in uh, Illinois where you are. That's very true. Haddonfield. Uh, I don't know if Haddonfield exists. I'm not actually a resident from Illinois, but I'm not sure if Haddonfield exists. I would totally agree, though, because it does seem like the whole movie takes place over a night, and then we get to the sequel, and we kind of go back and reset, and now we're still going over that. Um, I mean, I understand that we do kind of lose track of time that late, and it probably gets into maybe the early hours of the morning, but yeah, super long night... And it it does feel weird. Like part of me likes it though, because I like the idea of this like almost like endless Halloween night where there's like a lot of fun going on, but like a lot of horror and it just is like never ending. Right. But it it does. It's pretty obvious where it's like, what? This is the longest evening slash night ever. 
Right. And I totally agree with you that I do like the fact that it kind of comes off as if it's never going to end, you know, and right. that's just the horror of that night. It's just going to continue. Um, I like that kind of part of it because there is that theme of paranoia that's in this movie very prominently, uh, not only with the doctor, but even in the ho- in the hospital, which I thought was also kind of interesting is the location they chose, like the main location they chose uh, for this movie uh, is in a hospital primarily. In the last one, it was in, I think, two or three houses. It wasn't like they spent the most time in one house. It was kind of shared between the three houses. So I thought it was kind of interesting that they chose to kind of go a bit smaller, technically, I guess, and yeah. go to a hospital. If you've read my Finding Dory review, you know that I didn't primarily like that they went from Finding Nemo, which was the entire ocean that they had to explore, and they just shrunk it down to an aquarium. Um, I didn't think it worked very well there. I think it works pretty all right here. I was, no I didn't have any problems with them only staying in the hospital just because it's, like I said, if if you have it in the viewpoint of, oh, this is just like, you know, an add-on or a, some downloadable content uh, to a game and, and you're just continuing the story, it, I feel like it worked pretty all right. I think it really works because the hospital feels huge. Yeah. And because there's a number of characters, sometimes they're together, sometimes they're really far apart and right. they're in different areas of the hospital and they're always like running back and forth and they they do have different tasks to do. But I also like how it's just like we have no idea where he is and right. he keeps picking off these people one by one in different areas. Now, right. how does he know that's where they are perfectly? Um, I don't know. It's just kind of a give me for the story. That's kind of one of my bigger issues too is that although the hospital is bigger and we do have a little bit more room I guess to play around and kind of build some more suspense and we don't know the layout we don't know the layout of the uh hospital which even gives more paranoia which I think does is a good thing for this movie. We start picking off characters that we have no development for. Now, that kind of sounds contradictory because in the first one, this also happened. But at least when main characters died, like Lori's friend, uh, when she dies, she actually had some development to her. Like they, were, like, they spent time building her character. And when she died, it was scary and it felt genuine. Whereas this one, I know the nurse and um, well, both nurses that, we, that I saw and the police officer, they were kind of just throwaway characters. They were... They just because they died didn't mean anything, and it really wasn't all that scary seeing them die. So that's kind of one of my bigger issues with this is that it doesn't take its time to build its characters, the new ones at least. And when it does, there's not much to them because you have Jimmy and then the other nurse. I forget, I forget her name, but yeah, it's yeah, you know. Yeah, I would totally agree because I feel like there is some potential right in the beginning with these characters because. They're all fairly different, and at first they kind of seem interesting with a bit of their own, like, personalities, but then the problem is they're never developed, and they're just really shallow, and honestly, one of the biggest issues with this movie is the fact that Laurie Strode is barely in it, and she pretty much plays a mute, and I was really disappointed to see that. I there's like a trivia I saw where it said Lori is in only 25 minutes of the movie. Right. Uh, her character is like so underutilized and she's almost always quiet the whole time anyway, so the characters are a huge issue in this movie. And yeah, like right. when they die, I don't care. Right. Because I don't know anything about them and it's just it's just more about the kills. Like, ooh, this one is 
scalded or this one gets a needle in his head or something like that or this one right. very creative kills you know that's pretty much the main focus yeah and i i think that's basically where this movie is headed in the first place is uh the first one was set in the house and so we can only have you know however many kills within there but now we move to a hospital and we have a, almost an infinite supply of creative kills and i do think that this does do a pretty good job at utilizing some of the things around them i think it could have done a much better um, but for what they use, like, yeah, the scalding bath water, uh, I think that that one was pretty creative because that feels like something that a, a hospital would have. You know, a couple other things are in this movie. Like the, right. the syringe, you know, that one. Yeah. Uh, that one that you saw, that one sounds pretty pretty creative. Yeah, this one, although it could have been more creative for what they do, it's serviceable, I think, is a, a good way of describing it. Well, and I understand that you got a edited version for the violence, but yeah. honestly, from what I saw, uh, I don't know. I guess standards have changed because they were like, whoa, this is so graphic and right. brutal. It's just so intense and, you know, almost can't even look. These deaths are so horrendous. And I mean, granted, this is an 81. So I guess that's why. But to now, I was like, did I miss something? Am I watching a different cut? Because, yeah, these deaths like... Some of it's like, ooh, that's gross. You know, he like shoved a needle in her head or whatever, but it really wasn't that disturbing to right. me or it was over pretty quick. It, I don't know. I didn't think they're that big of a deal. Yeah. No, I, for me, I think it may have been even worse because I had the TV edit. So whatever was kind of sugar coated for you was totally sugar coated for me because they can, yeah. only, show, they can only show so much on TV, both violence yeah. and sexual content. So, I mean, I. Th- there, I never got to see a knife penetrate anything. Um, the worst I got, I think, was when Michael stabbed one of the nurses and raised her up with the knife. But you never saw the knife stab her. Uh, you just yeah. saw her. Saw her. It was, she was facing the camera. And she goes, uh, and then she's raised up by Michael <laughs> in the back. That I think that was the worst I saw. So I mean, yeah. it, it really toned down. Really toned down. It kind of took away from the horror. Um, and when it was all said and done. I guess the only positive is if people are just got a hankering to see these movies, they've got versions right. that will not offend them or make them squeamish or whatever. Right, yeah. If you're looking for... Eh, honestly, I kind of consider this TV edit to be the PG-13 version of Halloween oh, 2. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. There's... There's nothing in this to kind of give it the R rating. Some of the yeah. line... Actually, there were parts in the movie where uh, you could definitely tell that some of the dialogue was recorded over... Some parts were insanely prominent where you could totally tell because the mixing of the lines leading up to the line that was uh, digitally added in there, totally different mix. And it, at times it was really distracting um, to see yeah. the, those two different mixes come together. So, I'm sure it was. And the theatrical version is definitely an R-rated movie, yeah. not just because of the violence, but there is I'd, there's like a significant uh, amount of nudity, possibly a little bit more than the first one. And that's when she's in the jacuzzi thing yeah, with the guy. And so we do get the nudity there. And we also he like dunks her head in the water. Like in your version, it's once. But in the other one, it's like six times or something. OK, actually, this scene, I actually did kind of enjoy this scene. The characters, not so much, but the execution right. of the kill, I thought was very creative. Yeah, there's no nudity here for me at all. Um, but the scene when the other um ambulance driver guy when he goes back to turn down the water because my you know michael turns it up uh you just kind of see him behind the frosted glass and she's just kind of chilling there in the tub and michael just kind of comes up behind him and then like 
grabs him and like you know chokes him and pulls him to the other room yeah. and it's completely silent. I don't know if that's what you had, but I thought it was actually quite effective just because of the silence of it all. Yeah, that is what I had, and I really liked that. Yeah. Um, probably one of the better kills was that silent one off screen, more of that shape aspect to it. Right. Um, something else I wanted to talk about was, before we get too far into that, uh, into the hospital, we're getting a little far into it, and I just want to say a couple more things and we can jump back to it. Uh, when we see... When when we learn about Annie, when Sheriff Brackett learns about his daughter's death, I thought the police actor who gave that line was so melodramatic. When he comes up to Sheriff Brackett and he's like, one of them was Annie. And he's like shaking him and he's like, I know, we gotta go. <laughs> I Yes, that, that entire police officer's character was just overly dramatic. I thought that scene actually, weird. that scene where he like was yelling at him actually made me laugh. Yeah. And I've got another issue when the police say that they they're like they just slam into the guy and then they put out a statement like we, he's dead. And then yep. all the characters are like, oh, he's dead. Woohoo. Yay. And but we clearly know that there's no suspense for us mm -hmm. because we continuously see Michael walking around. Right. And OK, I also want to say I think it would be more powerful if Brackett would have like barely pulled back the sheet and broke down instead of like us showing Annie's face for that whole time. And right. clearly she's just like holding her breath with her eyes open and her dumb expression on her face. I was like, eh, right. that kind of took out some of the emotion, emotionality. Right, yeah. And me. then, yeah, Doc kind of puts his hand over it and closes her eyes. Yeah. This camera, I feel like it keeps switching back. It's like juggling a lot of characters. Yeah. It's juggling a lot of characters and a lot of side plots too. A lot of side plots. And one of them... That I don't know if it totally worked. I guess it was okay. And apparently this was actually supposedly one of the scenes that Carpenter came back to shoot. Is when... Okay, you know it begins with a boombox kid yes. walking by. Um, and I'm, if I'm not mistaken, that was the guy who plays Michael Myers in this movie. That's like his younger brother or something. That's odd. Well, <laughs> look in the look in the IMDb credits. So we we get the boombox kid, which I think is really weird. It's like what by now? At least ten o'clock at not night. Only, yeah, not only ten o'clock, but usually these guys listen to like music. No, he's listening to the news. He's listening to the what? news, and he's dressed like a cowboy, and he's got a massive stereo tape cassette boombox, just walking around town. This made me laugh. I was just like, "You've what?" What is it's this? It's weird. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And so then the two nurse ladies or whatever, they drive off in the Mustang. And then the Michael Myers runs into the boombox kid. But the boombox kid was just heading that way. And now he's heading back the opposite direction. And I'm like, well, that's kind of dumb. And that is how Michael learns where Laurie Strode is. He hears it on the news from the boombox. And then we see him walk by like this giant sign like Haddonfield Memorial Hospital. I'm like... Uh, yeah and know. also this scene with michael just walking through the city is kind of silly because in the original we really only saw michael when he was in the neighborhood which really right. kind of puts you on edge because it's in the neighborhood you know where you live you know not in the city like i guess in the business district of whatever town this is that kind of pulls away from uh, the scariness of Michael Myers. And like I said, there's a lot of scenes that are kind of copying off the first movie. Mm -hmm. Well, when Michael is watching the kids be mean to Tommy, 
with his pumpkin the one of the bullies runs that way and runs right into michael and we get that loud music and he like grabs him by the arms and lets him go it's kind of like when he runs into the boombox kid uh the only thing that i will say that i do like is i feel like this movie gives a good scope of haddonfield yeah it's kind of like we are we are kind of a member of the town kind of passing through it and we see there's you know kind of some nightlife going on this halloween while there is this malevolent presence walking through, that's probably my positive is just kind of the wider scope it gives of the city. But otherwise, yeah. it's kind of a really weird scene with this boombox kid and how the information is delivered to my. I agree. Yeah, I think that they do a pretty good job at opening up Haddonfield a bit more to kind of develop the town uh, more than the first one. And the first one, we more or less were just in the neighborhood the whole time. Right. Uh this one, we kind of get more into the city, like more into where everyone, where all the shops are at and stuff like that. I mean, just a little bit, but I think that that scene with Michael walking the city, although kind of silly, I think it works pretty well with kind of, like you said, developing the town. And um, now we have a bit more of a scope as to what exactly is Haddonfield. And it kind of feels like a, a town in the middle of Illinois, to be honest. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. Right. Uh, a funny line from the other ambulance driver they're sitting there watching the news and the lady, I don't know if you got it in yours, but the lady says, everything you say is heck, I'm substituting here. Yeah. Everything you say is heck or crap or dang. And he says, I guess I just F up all the time. So that was pretty funny. I thought yeah. pretty funny line. Yeah. I believe that scene was in the movie, but censored quite a bit where they <laughs> chopped out a bunch. There was like blank, blank portions of dialogue. So. Yeah. Okay. I think you got some extra scenes with that nurse because in my version, she's really not that mean and I actually kind of like her. Yeah. So you know, she was really mean in my version, like annoyingly mean. Okay. I didn't get that. So that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. She honestly, at first she was kind of nice, but kind of mean. And then as we went on, she, okay. So Jimmy just kept coming in to see Jimmy Lee Curtis, right? Just Every like five minutes, if we're counting on this to be played out in real time, he'd be in there like every five minutes. So then nurse lady would come in and say, out, you know, just, just right. like that. And so this happened more than once in the movie. So she just came off as being ridiculously mean just for no reason at all, really. Just because I guess she's that's just how she is. I don't know. Yeah, that did get kind of annoying when she constantly kept telling Jimmy to get out of the room. Yeah. But the only thing I liked about her was she seemed like the only competent person in this hospital, whereas everybody was pretty much slacking off. They didn't know what to do. They needed right. some kind of direction or purpose, and they're pretty much these kind of aimless characters, except she felt like she had a purpose, except one of my biggest issues is honestly a lot of these deaths do happen off screen. You just see the aftermath. A couple of them you do see on screen and those aren't satisfying. Right. Hers is off screen and I would have liked to have seen that on screen. I know that probably sounds bad, but her character just drops off. And okay, I do kind of like the idea of this really lonely hospital where there's only like eight people working. Right. It keeps getting like lonelier and lonelier and there's only like a couple people and people keep disappearing. But I don't know. Choosing to have so many deaths off screen and just drop these characters, I think, is kind of poor. Right. Yeah, I totally agree. Also, this hospital is insanely empty. Like, yeah. we don't see any other patients here aside from those who are working. That's, those are the only people that are there. And Lori, those are the only people that I guess exist in this hospital. We we see Michael is like standing in the baby's room or whatever yeah. where they keep the newborns. 
And that lady's supposed to check on them, but she never does and totally neglects them. Right. But yeah, you're right. That she is the only person, which is implausible, but I kind of liked. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think that the setting of being in like this empty hospital is very creepy. I thought it was very fun that they did that. But it's, like you said, it's implausible that this would happen. Although I do think that the scene with Michael and the baby uh, in the baby's room and it's like a POV shot and you hear him breathing. That was pretty, pretty freaky. And I will admit that that kind of got, gave me some chills. So I was just like, that's, that's not okay movie. I totally agree. I think there's a huge missed opportunity here though. Yeah. Because when we do find out that, okay, this is horribly explained and it's actually slightly explained differently in both versions about Michael and Lori's history. Yeah. So in my version, the lady says, um, Lori was adopted two years before he was committed and two years after his parents died and she was adopted by the Strodes. Right. Whereas in the TV version, they just say she was adopted like two years later by the Strodes and that's it. Instead of this really convoluted thing that is like almost nonsense yeah. and somewhat retcons the first movie because in the first movie we only knew he had one sister right but with this it's supposed to say that he had two sisters and she Lori was a baby at the time so i'm assuming in the first one Lori was a baby sleeping in her room i guess while all of this went down that's my only guess that would make sense so here's the missed opportunity what they should have done was put a scene of Michael looking down at the babies in the hospital and then done a flashback of him looking at like his baby sister in her room when he was a kid, like on that right. Halloween night or something. That would have been an interesting addition. Right, yeah. And I think that de definitely would have worked in with the humanizing Michael Myers as well with that kind of a thing that's going on here. I think that having yeah him in the, within the baby room and then, yeah, him seeing a baby kind of reminds him of his past with his sister and then yeah later on when that information is revealed that Lori is actually his sister i think that the audience could have connected the dots and it would have made a lot more sense that i think that would have definitely worked really really well if they put that in there so what do you think about the pacing of this movie i'll say this i was never bored with this one i think it's fine and i think this also kind of goes down to script writing one of my biggest overall issues with this movie is that there isn't really a dynamic sense of progression. We kind of do a couple of things and then we kind of spend time in these places like the hospital primarily and and we kind of chase around um we chase around Dr. Loomis for a while just as he's trying to get to find out where is Michael, you know. Um that's the only two things that are happening, right? And to be fair, the original was kind of similar where we really only focus on the two teenage girls and sometimes cut back to Dr. Loomis. But at least in the original, it felt like there was something always happening. Whereas in this one, like I said, there's not that sense of progression. And when it was all said and done, I really didn't feel like much had changed from the, from the beginning to the end. And all that really happened was the hours went by and next thing I know it was morning. So <laughs> pacing wise, it's okay. I mean, it's not like it's so bad that it, I wasn't interested because I was, but it it's not great, I wouldn't say. Yeah, and I think the same thing. Um, I put in my notes, 
When I was 35 minutes in, I felt like we needed to pick up the pace a bit because pretty much nothing was happening and it was really lacking the intrigue from the first movie. And once once again, it seems like they're relying on the intrigue of the first movie to carry into this one because they're just saying, hey, this is still a part of the exact same story. So we're just building that intrigue and I don't know, just Michael going through and picking off these people one by one seems kind of stupid. It, he would go straight for Lori, it would seem like. I mean, I understand that he went for her friends, but he was doing that to lure her there, to trap her. This doesn't do that at all. This is just him killing people just because, I don't know. So there's actually something to do in the movie. So I think they're really lacking a lot of the intrigue and pace in this movie. And we barely focus on Lori. And when we do, it's pointless because she just sits around. I know. And the know. only thing is, is that dream sequence I felt was pretty good. And it wasn't like directly revealing anything. To me, this was her wondering, what if? Right, yeah. And in fact, I kind of want to talk about Lori for a little bit. There isn't too much, I guess, to talk about with her character because we don't really explore her too much. Um, I think that the main character in this one is actually Dr. Loomis, but only yeah. kind of because the movie still cuts back to Lori's situation. But I, like you said, Lori doesn't really do much here. And when she does do something, she's like, oh, yeah. And she's like completely out of it until, I guess, the ending 15 minutes or so. I think, like you said, if we go off of uh, the original and actually have that development from before, then we kind of understand where she's coming from. But from just jumping into the second one, there's nothing here. And the only development we get is when we find out, hey, wait a minute, she's actually Michael Myers's other sister that just decided to, sh you know, to, to exist. So I don't know. I, like you said, not a big fan of her character here either. Yes, and it's interesting because the big reveal in this movie is actually spoiled in the TV version for the first movie. Mm -hmm. Because when they're they're looking at Michael's room at the Smith's Grove Sanitarium, and on the back of his door he has scratched in it in really big letters, Sister. Right. So that ascribes motive. I think that ruins the first movie because it gives a motive for what he's doing in the first movie, whereas... Without it, you have no idea what's... You don't know the motive, which totally works. Right. And like you said, just knowing that he's killing her friends just to lure her there, just because he wants to get her first, that is right. even scarier because um, that's the only intent is just to hurt her. And there's nothing else past that. And that's... I do think that that is pretty freaky. And the lengths that he goes to... Uh, that he goes through just to get her there is also pretty chilling. This one doesn't do that. This one kind of just... For whatever reason, someone decided it was a good idea to try and humanize Michael. I don't think that was the best choice. Sure, I, I agree. Something else that I felt was pretty boring was when the security guard was looking around and yeah. then he gets killed. Yeah, and he's kept radioing back to that nurse. I don't know how he yeah. had two radios, but like, the the lock's been broken. Yeah, yeah. It was it was really boring, and it took way too long. It was supposed to be building suspense. It wasn't. It was more so funny, if anything. Honestly, I had never seen this guy until he gives the nurses ready. He's like, okay, just take it. And she goes, I don't know how to work it. And he goes, I got to go. And he just walks out the door. And I was like, wait, <laughs> wait, was who is this? Why Why are we focusing on him now? I know. 
So something else really stupid I felt was when we have this mob of people protesting and throwing rocks at Michael's house. Yes. Do they, does this town just actively always listen to the news? (laughs) Come to think of it, the news must move really, really quick in this town because not only was it just minutes after it was revealed that Michael had been, uh, something had happened in the town, people decided to start riding at his house. What? It's an inanimate object. It's a building. Yeah. Not only that, but it's Halloween night. People wouldn't be listening to the news. Almost. I, would, I wouldn't think at least. I, I know. That really didn't make sense. And to me, I was. it just seems so stupid. It's a building. It is a building. What are you? What? It's right. not a. It's not a person. I mean, that was just incredibly stupid. Right. And Dr. Loomis says, they're a tribe. One of their numbered was butchered. But not only that, though, but they're not doing anything to it. They're just throwing rocks at it. You would think that if it's a mob, they'd be trying to burn it down or something or do something worse, you know? Yeah. It's just like they're they're literally yelling at the house. I know. And it doesn't make I, any sense. It's really bad. Bad lines, bad scene. It's, yeah. And this is when we, I think this is the scene when we find out that the kid that they had, accident, that the police officer had ran into is, uh, what's his face? The crush, I guess. I, I didn't realize that, too. So I have a question real quick. They mentioned that there was an elementary school break-in, and then they kind of go there a bit later. What does that have to do with anything? Because I am so confused on that point of the movie. Uh, Yeah, I put breaking into the school doesn't make any sense. So this is extremely problematic because this is all for the audience. Okay. This is all for the audience. Okay, so here's what it goes. It's really stupid because Michael breaks into the elementary school and stabs a picture of a little girl. Right. Okay, just a hand drawing. Right. And then he writes Sanheim on the board in blood. Right. So I said, right. are these clues for the police or are they just for us? Uh, and this is totally unnecessary considering we have the dream sequence. Right. Which hints at their relation, their brother and sister. So... Okay, this is it's just such a problem because this is totally for the audience because this is to solidify the fact that Michael is coming after his sister and it's totally unnecessary, totally pointless and it's just totally pandering to the audience. Right. And coming up with all it's really stupid. It has nothing to do with the movie. We had the dream so, sequence. Don't go the extra mile to say Michael is her sister in like all caps, you know. Right. So what you're telling me is there wasn't an extra scene that was, for one reason or another, just cut out of the of the TV version that was important for this scene. It, they're basically the same thing. No, they're the same thing. Are you kidding me? That doesn't make any sense. And then they go off on this tangent about this guy named Sandheim and the festival of Sandheim and how that was on October thirty first. And then right. that doesn't do anything. Yeah, the only problem with that is the people who made Halloween six watched this movie and they take this tiny little tidbit of the druids and this cultic stuff and they make that the plot of Halloween 6. So That's weird. Loomis meant it more figuratively as this like Lord of the Dead type thing, okay. but then they took it literally and made that and made that a part of the lore. Okay. Which, a part of the continuity and lore. So I guess that's the only thing that you could connect it with is six. If you choose to represent that as canon, which you don't actually have to. Right. Okay. That's what I was, because I figured that when 
he starts talking about you know the festival of Sandheim and and stuff like that. I don't know why it was written on blood on the on the on the chalkboard or, or why Michael decided to just hop inside of an elementary school, stab a knife into the teacher's desk and write Sandheim in blood on the on the board and walk out. But but um, I did catch the part where he starts talking about where Loomis starts talking about Sandheim and I caught the figurative stuff and I was like yes, but what? <laughs> So. It it makes no sense. It's totally unnecessary. And I feel it's really pandering to the audience to make sure they understand. Yeah. Just over explaining it to them. And also it's just really dumb because it's like perfect. The Michael is giving them all the clues that they need. Right. Right there. Exactly. It's, this is one of the worst parts of the screenplay. It it's it, I don't know. It I thought I was hoping that, you know, you would been able to explain that to me but come to find out i guess we have the exact same questions so oh yeah no it's just to pander to the audience and give horrible unnecessary exposition got it all right well that that's kind of silly yeah it's (sighs) really frustrating actually (laughs) so so let me get this straight then after this a gal comes in and talks to loomis and is like hey you have to leave now because governor doesn't like you anymore And um, he's like, "Uh, yo, what? And so basically he's about to be kicked out of the city. But then, so let me get, so can you try and explain this to me? Because in what world did the governor just wake up one night on October? He's like, hey, you know what? This guy is causing some issues in the past four hours. Just kick him out. Um, it, it's really doesn't make any sense. It is totally out of the blue. This lady comes and yeah, they're like, you have to come with us. We have like orders from the governor and we've got like a police officer here who's going to force you to like escort you out of here. Right. Because you're just what being too causing too much of a ruckus or something. I, I guess trying to look for Michael Myers instead of, instead of adding more, uh, police onto the force to try and look for Michael Myers and take him down. They decide to kick out the guy who supposedly had caused a bunch of ruckus. What? It feels like it feels like we're really missing a scene here. And the only way to connect the dots that I think, and this isn't really substantiated by the movie at all, but in the beginning when we see Brackett seeing his dead daughter there and he's got to go tell his wife, he kind of like grabs Loomis and he's like, this is your fault. You brought him here. And we kind of got a little bit of that guilt trip in the first movie. It would have worked if it would have showed a grieving Sheriff Brackett and his wife get on the phone to the mayor or governor or whatever and said, you've got a doctor down here. You know, my daughter's dead. Um, He's down here waving a gun around, trying to shoot him, you know, whatnot, playing vigilante. There's it's a bloodbath down here. You know, Dr. Loomis is like was part of the problem. Then that would have made so much more sense when this lady would have came in and said this. That's my own imagination. But I think if we would have had that connecting scene, it would have made the movie more intriguing instead of just dropping Sheriff Brackett off like that and then totally bringing in this new lady. Right. I don't know. I think my scene works and that should have been put in. But you're right. It's like, what? Who are right. you? How do? You, how did they know this? This has all been within, I don't know, a couple hours. It right. doesn't make any sense. Exactly. And I think that this movie kind of just assumes we can connect the dots, but there's no logical way that we can connect the dots. Like you just said, there, there are, I feel like there are scenes that are just completely missing 
for some reason, just to kind of tie in those loose ends, like why the governor decided to just out of nowhere on this night, um, when he's only been there for a few hours to give an order to kick him out or why Michael decided to go to the, the elementary school or just small things like that. Or just, there's could have just been a really short scene just to kind of say, this is why this exists, but it, they don't do that for one reason or another. And I was hoping that your version, cause I knew that mine had some scenes cut out, but I was hoping that your version would explain that, but I guess it don't. So what, <laughs> what kind of a screenplay is this? Yeah, sadly, it doesn't explain that. And if I'm not mistaken, so this lady that comes, she either reappears in H2O or it's the nurse from the first Halloween in the car ride that comes back in H2O, or maybe they're the same person from right. both movies. And I just don't remember. I really want to find that out here right? Um, eventually. And I probably won't be able to find that out right now for this podcast, but when we come back next time... Or, or when we see the lady in the tenth one, I will have decided which one it is. So, so right after this scene, when the lady is like, "Hey, you got to leave, Mister Loomis," and so they get in the car, he then pulls a gun on the police officer and is like, yeah. "Take me to the hospital." And he goes, "You're doing the, you're doing the wrong thing, Mister." Takes him to the hospital. He was even though he's a cop. Um, it, but beside beside the fact, it's okay because the cop dies later. Well, that's interesting because that's a different sequence of events from the theatrical version. Really? Yeah, so that's very different, actually. Um, so, okay, we see the scene at the school. They drive away. Right. And then we go back to the hospital, and we see Michael has murdered the the old crazy doctor guy with a syringe through his eye, and then he stabs a lady which is a really nice scene where it's like another like slow fade where you just see him like in the background he it shows a close-up of him stabbing her in the head with okay. a syringe yeah i have then any, we see, i don't have any of this so we finally see michael get to Lori's room and he stabs the pillows the editing is nice with that but she's gone and then we see Lori like crawling through the hallways and hiding in rooms and we get lots of shots of the hallways with just creepy music and we get some really creepy like pan pipes as Lori just like huddles there in a fetal position right um and we also see the the black nurse has died jimmy finds her and falls and slips we get some more great score that i just i put in all caps i love right here and we also i don't like when michael jumps out i hate that i hate the music cues for any of the jumps i don't know how you felt about that but whenever there's a jump scare there's some really ugly sounding stuff right I think I remember only seeing one jump scare. I don't know. Okay. And then Michael does find Lori and he chases her all throughout the hospital and through the basement and everything. And then she gets in the car. And um, this scene is actually very similar to when um, Michael chases her out of the house in the end of the movie. It's actually some of the shots are set up the exact same way that this blocking and stuff like that and then we jump back to them in the car talking about this and then he makes them turn the car around yeah so that kind of happens with my version i believe he points the gun at the cop first and then says go to the hospital because i think he hears it over the radio or i can't remember exactly how we got to that point um i know it's explained but i just can't remember right now but i do remember that 
Michael does not stab the bed when he goes into Lori's room. He rips the sheet off first and sees that it's a bunch of pillows. And, he, and then he turns around and walks out. Um, then, yeah, we get that short chase scene of them running through the hospital. And then she goes into the boiler room and then somehow was able to crawl through the window in between some pipes and gets out. Now, she gets in the car and hides. And then Dr. Loomis and, and crew shows up. And then they walk inside the hospital and lock the doors behind him. And so she can't get in. And then Michael just shows up and starts walking towards her. And then she, of course, bangs on the door enough and they let her in and, and stuff. But yeah, that's how my series of events went down. Mm. That's some different editing. I think I think I read somewhere they did change some things around for like continuity issues. I don't I don't know. They kind of made a little bit of it into a mess with certain things. Right? Yeah, for real. Ugh. For real. Uh, we also do find out what happens to the boy with the razor in his mouth, but you don't get that in their version. <laughs> yeah, I never had the boy with the razor, so I never really got that. Okay, and like I said, we jump back to them in the car talking about the druids and whatever and whatnot. And when he like tells them to flip the car around, I thought that was like so campy, how the car just like like flips around like so crazy and then drives back. It's It looks really silly. Well, but then after that, it cuts back and shows Jimmy get in the car with Lori, and he falls on the car horn, which is just like what happened with Linda, or Annie, I'm sorry, what happened with Annie in the first movie. Right. And then we get Lori jumping out of the car onto the ground, and Lori, she like runs back to the door or something and tries to get in, but it's like locked or something, and that's just like when Lori was trying to get back into the Doyle house. Right. Yeah, with my movie. version, she crawls out of the car. They okay, so they pull up, uh, Loomis and crew, and then go inside. They lock the doors behind him. Uh, but as they're getting inside, uh, I say pull up. She's like crawling out of the car that she was hiding in, and she's mm -hmm. like trying to yell for him or whatever. And then once they get inside, then she screams, and then that's when oh yeah, um, Michael shows up. That's the same thing. But I thought that was stupid how they couldn't hear her screaming. Yeah, even though they were just right inside. Yeah, or she didn't scream until they got inside. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and Michael busts through the door, which seems kind of unbelievable. And it was really dumb when Loomis tells him to get on the radio and do something. And the sheriff is like, wait, I'm the only one authorized to use the radio. That was so dumb. I know. Though, honestly, this cop is not a very good actor. No. He's... No. <laughs> well, and this it's really dumb when they do get in this, like, you know, final showdown room. Mm-hmm. Loomis gets stabbed and he just flies back into all of that stuff. Yeah. And I'm thinking, really? It incapacitated you that much that you just had to go flying back and like pass out for a while? Right, right. <laughs> exactly. Although, oh, right boy. after this, uh, they do something kind of interesting. They, I believe he shoots Michael in the eye, if I'm not mistaken. No, no, Lori does. Yeah. And then he's just kind of blindly this, like throwing his knife all over the place trying to hit somebody. Um, I think this scene kind of went on just oh, just, a, just a bit too long. At yeah. first, it's like, oh, man, you know, it's kind of freaky. And he's just like, it's like throwing his knife, you know. But then they have to release the gas and everything, you know. And he just keeps walking back and forth from Loomis to, to Lori and back and forth just trying to find one of them, you know. I think it went on just a, uh, just a, just a bit too long. It kind of dropped the suspense after that. Yeah, it definitely went on too long. I really loved it when there's just this sh like kind of upward shot of Michael approaching Lori and yes. she's cowering and she calls out his name and then he like stops and does that where he turns his head. But then it's like he goes back and resets and keep walking towards her. That right. was really well done. 
Yes, I did like that too. Oh, and I love when she does shoot him and we do see like the blood like streaming down out of the mask. That's kind of like an iconic thing now that is really well done. Yeah, I I really enjoyed that too because yeah, once again, we see that Michael isn't exactly 100% immune. So yeah. And I really love when Lori gets out of there and Loomis is like looking at him and he's about to light the match and he's like, it's time, Michael, and then blows up. Right. And right. I don't know how I feel about Michael like walking out of there on fire and then he falls. That's a little bit like unbelievable. I don't know. It's it's a huge explosion. Yeah. It's a really oh. freaky image. Maybe they want to kind of keep a cliffhanger because I know we kind of see his figure walking towards us at one point and it cuts to Lori and it cuts back and we see him actually coming out of the fire and him falling, just yeah. falling down. Maybe it would have been more of a cliffhanger and maybe even a better ending if they, we kind of saw Michael with that figure in the background, maybe, but then cuts to Lori and then he's, the, the figure's just gone. Right. And that's it. The movie's pretty much over. We just see Lori getting in the ambulance and in my cut, my cut, it just shows Lori get in the ambulance and then it just cuts back to and it starts playing Sandman and mm-hmm. then it just shows a super close up of Michael's mask burning. It's really hard to tell what it is and the movie cuts. And it's yeah, over. mine's quite different. Uh, Jimmy comes out and he's just like, we made it, you know. Yeah. And then they get in the ambulance and or the car and they, they drive off. Uh, and then it just fades the black and that's it. There's no mask for me. Honestly, I like that ending better because the, I, I put in my notes, this is the weird ending of, yeah. it's a weird ending shot. It ends with the burning of his mask, I guess. I don't really know. Right. I don't understand the Mr. Sandman song. Yeah. Also, instead of, so get this. So they blow up a part of the hospital, right? And instead yeah of evacuating the rest of the hospital, there's just this, there was like one ambulance and a couple of policemen there to, to transfer her out. I guess the hospital really is just completely empty except for the, except for the baby room. Uh, that's kind of important. Um, it, yeah, it's empty. There's like no stakes really because right. there's like, there's so many patients in here. What are the ramifications? I don't know. It's a very low stakes situation. It's very contained where it's like, yeah, I can blow up. And I know Loomis is already kind of off his rocker, but that's a good point. And that's something that I I was kind of bugged with is we see him blow up in the fire and he's on fire. And then there's just like 10, 15 people standing around just yeah. out there. And it's like, yeah, it's done. We're done. Yay. The hospital's fine. Hospital's totally fine. No right. other patients. It's fine. Whereas right. I loved in like, you know, in the dark night when the Joker's going to blow up the hospital. Yeah. That was great. Whereas this is just like <laughs> no big deal. <laughs> right. Exactly. They, they, they kind of just, I guess they just kind of wrote it around the setting just because, oh, this would be creepy to have this movie set in an empty hospital. But they didn't really take into the, they didn't really take in that maybe we should throw in some realistic elements like maybe we should evacuate the hospital or show some other patients. It kind of pulls it out of a reality as if this was almost set up, really. Yeah, it's it's not very well done with that. Yeah, And this was supposed to be, like I said, Carpenter wanted it to be done after one, but they said, no, it did pretty well. We want to come back to it for another one. But then Carpenter said, okay, for an interview, he said the shape is dead. Pleasance's character is unfortunately dead as well. Right. This was supposed to be the end. But Carpenter did come back for Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. But it has absolutely nothing to do 
with the Michael Myers Laurie Strode storyline. That's weird. Hmm. This confused and actually angered a lot of audiences because yes, they're expecting ha- what what do you expect? Halloween 3. Right. But Carpenter said we want to do like anthology films like one every year. It'll just be, you know, Halloween 3, Halloween 4 and it'll be a brand new story each time. Hmm. Um it'll still retain the Halloween title, but it'll have nothing to do with those. Those were their own stories. We're just going to keep doing like Halloween movies with different plots and premises. Audiences hated that and were ticked off. And Halloween 3 is the black sheep of the group, but I've got some things to say about that. So then a couple, then not long after they came back with Halloween 4, and that's why it's called Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers. Gotcha. Okay. Well, I'm not going to lie. I actually do kind of like this ending with Loomis and Michael Myers, and it kind of ends with the only way that Loomis could actually contain Michael Myers is to kill him and to burn him alive. And he dies with him. And that I think that that is a pretty, pretty fitting end for his character. Of course, he, Michael ends up, I guess, surviving because there's seven other movies we have to go through. But but yeah, I mean, I, I do kind of like that Loomis's arc ends here where he has to kill Michael. That's the only way that he can survive and that it's the only way he can stop Michael. Yeah, and I'm going to leave you in suspense whether Loomis comes back or not okay. for the fourth one. Honestly, I guess it doesn't surprise me if he, if he would or not, just knowing, I guess, knowing just a little bit of what's happened in the future. Yeah, I, I totally agree. This, I think, is a good end. I think the end of the first one is better. I'm totally satisfied with that. But yeah, yeah he has to trap him and they both have to take, he has to take him down. And it just shows you like how far he's willing to do this. So it works for me. But, well, this could be a podcast in itself talking about the different canons of the Halloween series. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll just do a standalone podcast, actually. It'll be just a couple minutes long, just so you don't get confused, viewers, because from here on out, we are going to start branching into different canons of the series. So I'll do a, I'll do a standalone podcast that you should listen to that will explain the different canons and continuity and whatnot. Okay. Yeah, I'm actually kind of curious to see where, once we get into the deeper lore of Halloween, where where everything kind of fits in, because I guess it gets a bit confusing from what I'm taking away from what you're saying. It does. It does get a bit confusing. Maybe I'll make an infographic. I don't know. That might be cool. But anyway, (laughs) Alan, what is your rating and recommendation for Halloween 2? Well, my rating might come as a little bit of a shock to you. Um... Now, every every critique that I've had since we began this podcast, I fully fall under and say that is, I still agree with that, that there's nothing I'm changing here in the end. But I think that overall, as looking at this film from a bird's eye perspective and kind of taking into, kind of taking into mind what all we've talked about, I think this movie is serviceable. I think it's okay. And... I think that, yes, there are, I guess there are even bigger plot holes that I thought would be explained in the uh, theatrical cut that were, I guess, were not explained. The script of this, as we've discussed, is it's got some serious holes in it, but at times it has those redemptive qualities. Like when, like with Dr. Loomis's character, I think that he is the main character of this movie. It may not focus on him as much, but he gets the biggest arc, I think, of, I guess. Of the two characters that are returning, he gets the biggest arc. 
and Lori doesn't really do much. But I think that it's serviceable. Like I said, if the best way I can explain this, it's like if you bought DLC from, say, Breath of the Wild. The game, once you, if you buy the game just by itself, that's the full game. But if you really wanted to continue the story of Zelda and where else it's going to go, you can buy the expansion pack and you can continue to play. I think it's ex exactly what this movie is. You don't have to see it. You don't have to buy it. But if you really want more of Halloween, then go ahead. You know, it's not going to hurt anything. It's basically a harmless movie, especially the TV edit. I guess it's got a lot of things missing that really kind of take away from the horror of it all. It's hard for me to call this, at least the TV edit, it's hard for me to consider it a horror film because it's very much a thriller in my eyes because we don't see many of the kills. The scary scenes are not set up the best. Um, I guess there's a lot more horrific things, a lot more imagery in, in the theatrical that is just absent in the TV version for obvious reasons. But that being said, I think this is a pretty good serviceable thriller. I think that... Um, Amidst the obvious issues, it does have some pretty freaky imagery, some freaky settings like the hospital, the completely empty hospital, or my I think one of my favorite shots or favorite parts of the movie is when Michael is in the baby ward and he's just breathing and you just, it's this POV shot of him breathing and he's inside there. That was very unsettling. Jimmy, like I said before, if we took him out, it wouldn't have changed anything. I don't think his character is important, especially in the, I guess in the, uh, in the theatrical cut, he has even less of a role uh, because he doesn't come back. We don't know if he survives or not. He kind of knocks out for some dumb reason. But yeah, overall, Lori herself is kind of bleh. She doesn't do anything up until the very end. Overall, like I said, I think it's serviceable. I think it's a fine film. I don't regret ever. I actually don't regret seeing it. That's not to say I didn't really get much out of it, but I think it's just fun. I think that's just the best way of putting it. It's just, it's fine. There's nothing terribly wrong with it there's nothing terribly right with it it does a few things right it does a lot of things wrong in the end i'm gonna go ahead and give it a six out of ten i'm gonna go ahead and say it's a mild recommend for me i might return to it i just i, I might return to it someday i don't know like i said it's serviceable there's nothing insane about it it's fine it's a fun one if, if especially the tv edit it's pretty pg-13-esque it's not gonna get too crazy um, so that's what I think. Six out of ten, it's a mild recommend. It's, like I said, nothing too crazy. And I'm going to say the same thing pretty much. Uh, Halloween 2, I would say, is a good sequel, or it's more of like a part two or DLC, honestly. And I would say Halloween 2 works best when watched immediately after part one, because it rides the coattails of the narrative development of that film. So is this movie necessary? No. I was satisfied with the mystery ending of the first one, just like Carpenter was. That being said, it is a nice capstone to the duology. It furthers the background and ties Michael and Laurie together in a satisfying way. I wish we would have got a heck of a lot more of Laurie, who was basically a non-factor in this movie and like barely spoke two lines. I also wish Michael would have been handled slightly better and the kills handled a lot better. The other characters are throwaway, which we care nothing about, and there is some bad acting and line delivery in this movie. I During the second act, it can become somewhat dry and boring. There are kills to keep our attention, but the problem is we don't have a relationship with these characters like we did with those murdered in the first. Plus, the kills happen quick and don't really impact the rest of the movie, except for creating an increasingly quiet, eerie atmosphere. 
Some of the cinematography mixed with the return of Carpenter's score make for some really haunting images, like when we see abandoned, mostly dark hospital hallways, and when we see the shots of Michael and Laurie in the hallways. The movie began with a solid opening, but it continued into a dry middle, and I would say an invigorating climax, except the resolution is wrapped up fairly quickly. Overall, Halloween 2 is a nice addition that can best be enjoyed as an optional dessert after viewing the first. I'm going to give Halloween 2 7 stars out of 10, and it does come with a solid recommend. So, but that recommend, like I said, it really only works best if you're going to watch it in conjunction with the first one. So go ahead and watch it as a two-parter if you want, but it's really, you don't have to. So that's standalone yeah man yeah no i i totally agree standalone doesn't really work but if you put on the first one right before it it's just fine it's kind of like kill bill where you, if you watch the first one uh no i guess it'd be a better way of explaining it is kind of like uh back to the future parts two and three or if you watch the second one you you, you just gotta roll right into the third one um i don't think it's as uh, big here with that but i think that if you did that it, it would make the second one not as bad not as un- i guess not as confusing if you view it like i have where it's dlc it makes sense why they didn't go too far sure absolutely and i i would say this is probably the most like dlc-esque movie i've ever seen oh yeah oh um, yeah the only other one that i think is kind of close that i can think of right now is quantum of solace because because Casino Royale was two and a half hours. It was one of the best Bond movies ever made. And then Quantum of Solace picks up pretty much right after like where Casino Royale ends, Quantum of Solace picks up. And Quantum of Solace is only like an hour and a half. Right. So it's an hour, like almost an hour shorter than the first one. And it's a continuation of the first one. So it definitely just feels like this kind of like small add-on edition, which isn't that great really but that's for another retrospective <laughs> right yeah that would be if we ever got around to doing the bond movies that would take oh. forever yeah that i mean i guess if we did like two a month then we could almost have it finished with it would take about a year if we did two movies a month but still a year for one retrospective that's crazy right yeah well listeners thank you so much for joining us for the kickoff to our halloween retrospective we are seriously looking forward to seeing what they can do and just hopefully a really good sequel better than this sequel uh in october right Uh, i'm really looking forward to it i know alan's looking forward to it as well and we've got some more great podcasts coming up shortly uh i'm really excited for the retrospectives we're doing so make sure to stay tuned to that uh, Jurassic Park is the next retrospective. I guess I want to remind the uh, listeners that next retrospective, we're going to have a guest star. I'll, like I said, I'm keeping that a surprise until he comes on, but I'm actually really excited. This is one of his favorite franchises is Jurassic Park. So I'm, I'm really curious to see what he can add to the uh, to the discussion. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really excited to have a third person on the show for the first time in the history of Silver Screen yeah. Guide. And Alan says he he knows some good stuff, so I'm interested to hear his additions to the movie. So make sure to listen to that. Uh, That'll be coming out pretty soon. 
And also my birthday special is coming up. So I'm excited about that. If, Very true. <laughs> if you want to know one of my Very favorites, true. yeah. If you want to know one of my favorites, then we're going to be reviewing it. So that comes out. Uh, yeah, that comes out right before the Jurassic Park episode does, one week before. I'm looking forward to that, that secondhand Lions. That one is pretty special to me, and I'm really excited Alan gets to see it for the first time. He's a new mm -hmm. viewer to it. And a little later in the month of February, probably towards mid to late February, we will be releasing the Oscars discussion. Yes, we are currently in the process of watching all the nominations. Yeah. It's going to... Got a lot of movies to watch. It's quite a task. Alan has a leg up on me. He got the leg up. He went to go see some of these movies, these weird movies that I'm like, what are you talking? Three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri? Ladybird? Sounds crazy. Sounds like whatever. I don't know. He said they're amazing, and I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, little do I know they got a bunch of nominations, so I'm really excited to go see them. I'm excited to discuss them with you, especially three billboards. I think think you'll really like Lady Bird. Okay. Okay. I'm really looking forward to watching those. And thankfully, we are able to do that through the magic of Movie Pass. And that is how we will be able to yes. give you a lot of more uh, new releases for reviews that way. Right. This, this is not a paid promotion either. We, we just decided to get Movie Pass one day and said, we probably should do this. It would save us more money than actually having to pay for all those tickets for the theater. oh yeah i wish we were getting a paid promotion from movie pass maybe someday but sadly yeah. not for now i <laughs> pretty sure we both totally be okay with oh, that yeah. just say oh yeah we would definitely be okay with that and we're definitely <laughs> we want to promote it because it is really helpful to both of us because otherwise that oscars discussion would cost us over 100 dollars to do and uh, some of these other new releases would be pretty expensive. So, but with Movie Pass, we are spending, I don't know, maybe 20 bucks at the most to be able to do that, which is super awesome because otherwise that would be insane to be spending over 100 bucks just for that. It wouldn't be happening. No, it wouldn't be happening. But I'm really excited for the discussion and to talk about all of those movies we're going to provide you with our rankings and our recommendations what we thought of them we're going to be going through pretty much everything that's been nominated except for some of we're not going to do the documentaries we're not going to do foreign films if i can get to foreign films i might mention them but i, I can't guarantee yeah anything. he might mention some of those but otherwise we're really going to be going through everything and giving you those and then of course once we know the winners we will be doing a post uh oscar discussion really really looking forward to both of those i'm really excited about those and you're really not going to want to miss those uh, those are going to be really fun discussions, and we want you to chime in with those discussions too. Make sure to leave us comments about those so we can engage with you about your thoughts as well. But anyways, thank you so much for joining us on the kickoff to the Halloween retrospective. We're going to be bringing you some fantastic reviews, and we've just got some really great things. We're really excited and planned for this year, so make sure to subscribe because you don't want to miss out on those. But until next time, listeners. That was, by the way, that was a picture of your dad. Yeah, yeah, I knew. I figured. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he was on our team for trivia. Oh, yeah. And trivia was fun, but it was a little long. Okay, should I say with inflation or without inflation? <laughs>